the tabletop Take away Game mechanics on display Three designers share the stage Pick a genre and we'll play The tabletop Take away all right, well, uh, welcome to our podcast. Um, this is the very first episode. Um, I'm Ananda. I'm Charlie. And I'm Trevor. And all of us are board game designers. Um, and so we decided to start this podcast to talk about game design. And specifically, to talk about game design by looking at some published games and breaking them down. Uh, looking at what they do well, uh, how they work. Um, why some of the decisions may have been made, um, and ultimately what we can take away from it all. So this, uh, this podcast is going to go in a kind of a series of chapters. This first chapter we're going to cover is tile placement. Uh, for our tile placement section, we're going to be doing three different games. We have first off here is King Domino, followed by Carcassonne, and then Galaxy Trucker. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you guys because I've also had this idea a long time ago. I don't know if I told you this, but when you asked me to join in a podcast, I was like, oh, that's such a good idea to break down one game at a time and figure out what we can take away from it as designers. Absolutely. Is that like what the idea that you had uh, a long time yeah, ago? Kind of, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, awesome. So, full circle. Yeah, full circle. <laughs> Very fortunate, yep. man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess the first one that we have here is King Domino. Um, so, uh, uh, Trevor, do you want to explain what uh, King Domino is all about? Sure, sure. So if you're not familiar, King Domino is a pretty simple tiling game uh, that revolves around building a kingdom around a castle. Uh, it's set up in kind of a five by five grid, and you're just trying to get the most points uh, as efficiently as possible. Uh, some of the tiles have crowns on them. They're all different terrains. And when you have enough crowns, you multiply it by the terrain of that type, and you know you get your score in the end. Uh, pretty pretty straightforward. Has some interesting kind of uh, choice mechanics around when you get to play uh, by tile selection. And yeah, that's kind of the, a really brief rundown of how King Domino goes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the core of it seems to be based on this drafting mechanic. These tiles have numbers, which seem to be a, a, to correspond to the strength of the tile or how, how many points it's going to be worth, how useful it's going to be. And then, um, so you, you draft them in turn order, but then um, based on the number of the tile you took, uh, the higher the tile is, the later you're going to draft for the next round. Um, so it's sort of balancing... What you need for your kingdom now against um you know how much you want uh an early position in the turn order to draft the next tile yeah yeah and i love how there's a lot of different strategy you can do even with this just simple layout and like i found myself making this gigantic desert but i didn't have any crowns for my desert so it was a setup to be zero points for me unless i could find at least one crown and so i found myself uh, going for turn order rather than um, like a really points heavy tile. Well, and when you don't know what the next row of tiles is going to be, you're kind of left in a state of suspense with, 
Okay, should, should I go first to make sure I can like stay on the top of that line? Or do we need to start getting crowns with the lower tiles or the more valuable tiles? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting choice. Uh, and it's also, it's pretty simple. I mean, I, I played this game with my nephew and he was uh, about eight years old and he picked it up really quick. We played through three or four games back to back. Like he was, he was hooked almost immediately. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a very simple game to, uh, to explain and to learn, um, which is a good thing. Um, that's, that's sort of the, the weight category that it fits into. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. So what do you guys think, um, from a game design perspective, uh, what's this game doing well or, um, not as well or, yeah. I think for me, it's a really good introduction to tiling games and that it's, it has a very simple mechanic like we've been talking about, but clearly like when they were making it, there had to be a trade-off, right? A trade-off between a, a weaker tile and a stronger tile, since you're not rolling dice, since you don't have any other randomization mechanics. Uh, it's not like a bag builder where you just dig in and hope for the best. Like, it actually has strategy behind it. Um, so I think that's a really cool approach for it. Uh, yeah, and then also, you may get crowns, but are the crowns congruent with the rest of your kingdom? Does that terrain actually match anything else you have? So, like, being able to plan that out and kind of have a long-term strategy, even though it's randomized, it's still very possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it, it does characterize... So, I, I guess this is this is one thing I noticed. It The different terrain types are characterized to some extent, um, but sometimes it can be a little bit hard to see the distinctions between them. So, for example, there's this mine terrain type, which is uh, which appears quite uncommonly. In fact, it's mostly on the higher... Uh, numbers, but it tends to have a lot of crowns. Um, so generally, you have a small area with mines, and then uh, with a lot of crowns in that area. Um, contrasted with uh, something like the um, the plains of wheat, uh, where there are fewer crowns. Oh, that's wheat. But I thought it was desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, it, I actually did too for a second. Uh, it, okay. it does look like desert, but there are windmills. Yep. Um, <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. But, but like crowns don't appear very much in the wheat fields, but there's a lot of wheat fields. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so you can make it uh, very big. Um, and of course, with any uh, multiplication-based uh, scoring system, um, the, the natural heuristic is try to balance the two things that are being multiplied um because like the the closer you get to an equal number the the more efficiently that's going to be converted into points um like uh you know 1 1 times 6 is a lot less than uh 3 times 4 right mm-hmm. right um yeah i was thinking about that too with the terrain types and one principle i think that's good when you're designing a game is avoid flatness whenever you can so yeah. the each terrain has this different valuation of how it's going to work. And it also helps with um, making things ha- have a different risk-reward um, payout. Yeah. So, like, if you go for the caves, you get some instant points, but it's risky because you might not even be able to draft another cave uh, for the mines. Right. Points. Yeah. And there's only six caves in the entire game. Yeah. Where there's 21 blank wheat fields without crowns. 
So just for juxtaposition, yeah. juxtaposition there, like that's that's insane. That's a big difference. Yeah. But I, I do feel that on your first time through the game, unless you're looking you, at the right. distribution, it's not going to be clear to you what the difference between the terrains are. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. the, the caves are kind of the, the exception because it's kind of obvious, like that, okay, caves, they don't appear very much, but they're high points because mm -hmm. you see, oh, wow, three crowns. That's mm -hmm. a very large number. Well, and you think mines, you think wealth because, you know, gold or right. whatever it is. Like, oh, yeah, those have got to be the good ones. Right. And then there are differences between the other terrain types, but those don't really come through. Right. Um, like, if, if you're a new player, they're all going to look the same. Right. Unless, again, you're looking at the back of the rule book where there's a breakdown of the distribution. So this is making me think of a general um, design challenge with card games. Because the first time you play a card game, you, you might not know any of the cards in the deck. And so the more you put onto those cards um, that isn't immediately obvious, the harder it is going to be to get someone in on their first play. Yeah. But the replayability of card games and like tile games where you don't know what the tiles are yeah, you know it, that's actually it's high. reminiscent. Also, not to bring up Catan, but Catan has the dots of how probable it is on a scale of you know thirty six right. options. So like right. you're, it's trying to help that player understand no matter what playthrough it is for them. Hey, this one's going to be more common. Yeah, you may not be very good at understanding probabilities of two d six, and that snake eyes is very rare, but. You know, it's going to try and help you with that. And so any way that a game can do that for you, I think, is really nice. And so having that on the back of the booklet is really cool, but it's not actually integrated into the game necessarily. That's right. more like you have to assume or guess, and that's a little yeah. bit a little mm -hmm. bit tougher. Yeah. And now, now games like Wingspan, I, I have the probability on the bottom of the card. Like how, oh, wow. many, how many of this card are there? So when you, you're trying for one of these random strategies... You can actually see, like, okay, well, this is only in one fifth of the deck, so right, yeah, yeah, yeah that's that, that's really good. I mean, like, one thing, this is Catan again, sure, <laughs> um, but the the uh, the deck of development cards. I mean, if if you look at the distribution, um, I think it's like like fifty two or sixty two percent knights. Um, oh, interesting. And then, like, a really, really small... There, there are only two of each of the special actions. Um, and there's, like, I think a 20% chance of getting a victory point card. And if you don't know any of that... Right. Um, and you're just buying cards, you may have a very skewed idea of what you can get. Because mm. people remember, like, playing the Monopoly card. But mm -hmm. that's you have actually a very low chance of drawing that card. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I never did development cards, because I always got knights, and I really didn't want to fight for the largest army. So just like, well, that's really expensive. I don't really care about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if if the distribution of cards or tiles or something matters, I think it's important to give players some idea of what they can expect. And it doesn't always matter. Um, I, I think it matters mostly when... Um, well, I, I suppose when you're making decisions that are going to depend on drawing more cards or tiles of a certain type. Mm -hmm. Well, and I so, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, just sort of tangentially to that idea, it was funny because I have realized I've been playing King Domino with a, a house rule unintentional, 
but because I was like, okay, when you're drafting to figure out what turn order you want, you should be able to see what the next row is, right? So you know if you want to try for the next. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. But the actual rules are it's hidden what's going to be next. And it was okay uh, this way, I think, (laughs) too. So you having played both ways, um, did you did you notice any? Uh, like well, did, did it feel different? It felt well. This play felt much more uh, like I had to go for that turn order top because I you need to guarantee that I really that wanted. Crown. To, yeah, I needed to get a crown on yeah. my wheats, uh, <laughs> and so I think if I had seen the other row, I would have laid laid back a little bit more sure. on some of those. So whether or not that's good for new players or not, I don't know. Well, I suppose if if the central tension of the game is between drafting something you need now and setting yourself up to draft something next turn, um, anything which uh, makes you more likely to... I, I guess taking away the certainty means that, yeah, like you said, you're more likely to to risk um risk it for next turn um mm-hmm. which adds a little bit of you know risk reward right like right. take take the sure thing or gamble on a little or maybe, push your luck yeah in yeah, a weird maybe, way which mm-hmm. people like i mean that's mm-hmm. that's a good thing oh, yeah. so may you know maybe the maybe the actual rule is better than your house rule. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and I, i'm going to add on to this that uh for really short games having those kind of luck mechanics isn't the bad thing, you know? Like, right. if you're comparing it to Catan, which predominantly is luck-based, if you get your resources or not, but, it's you know, it could be an hour-and-a-half game, and this is a 15-minute game. Yeah. And I think that comparison is really important to remember, too, where you can have more of those, like, luck elements in a shorter game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ha- um, the the shorter your game is, the the more crazy you can go. Like, Absolutely. Like, One Night Ultimate Werewolf? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, like, it's... Uh, it's a it's a wild game that that does things you could not get away with in in a game that takes uh, an hour or two hours because no nobody cares if if everything is ridiculous and you know and if, if you're in a position where you're basically guaranteed to lose because if the game's ten minutes it doesn't matter right mm-hmm. <laughs> I've definitely had a few when I dealt with werewolves where that was the case yeah and yep. it's fine it's... I looked at your card you're the werewolf well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, should we move into our uh, phase of get take game designer takeaways from yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. So, what we're thinking is each of us will have something that's inspiring us, maybe to use in one of our future designs, or has inspired us in the past. Uh, so, anyone who wants to throw one out there, sure, sure. So. Uh, you know, I've I've been designing a, some point-based games, and you know, getting a good multiplication in there is really tough. And like this handles that concept really well because you don't have to know multiplication to even do it. You can understand visibly how your points add up, and it's very simple. But I, you know, I've I've seen several games where they try to use multiplication in the mechanics. And it just gets so clunky. And so just reminding ourselves to like be very intentional and careful about multiplication in games. Yeah. yeah that's that's I a think, big takeaway for me. Yeah. Um, talking with Ben of Floodgate, uh, he said multipliers is like very appealing to game designers. Uh-huh. But maybe uh-huh. not so much players. 
And I had a design uh, recently where I I thought, oh, this won't be too much to do at the end. It'll be okay. But I should have just known from the physical look of this spreadsheet I had created for the points. And it took like five to minutes, five uh-huh. to ten minutes to just multiply and do all the math. And I'm like, hmm. no, that's not going to work. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, for me, the the drafting mechanic, I think a, a bit of what we were talking about, um, it's... It's a it's a really nice mechanic and and definitely the tension between getting what you want now and setting yourself up to get something next turn. Um, I think that that feels quite good. Um, so, you know, if if I find myself in need of a drafting mechanic, uh, I may look back to that. Yeah. Well, and it being based on those numbers too, where you know the teens might go away at some point. And yeah. if you're keeping track of that and you're like, okay, well, I know there's going to be fewer of the plains and, you know, the fewer of the wheat fields because those have all started to go away. Now yeah. I know I want to start going first more often so I can get those higher point cards. Right, yeah. The, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Yeah, the, and the, the way it orders it using the numbers on the back of the tiles mm-hmm. um, is, uh, I, I mean, it, it just it just works very well. Yeah. It's very clean. Yeah. Absolutely. That's sort of my takeaway, too, is just giving every thing that you could draft an inherent value. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of times you try to, oh, well, we'll just let the players value what they are. But I think, actually, I might try to use this in some games because it's just, yeah. Yeah, just it's, it's give everything nice. a number. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Any f- closing thoughts on King Domino? Uh, no, well, I, I do, we, um, I do find it a little weird that you have this, you have the center tile and then you have a little cardboard castle that goes on the center tile and then you have a little, uh, wooden meeple that goes in the castle and those seem unnecessary to me. <laughs> to be fair, you have two kings, two gold or meeple kings, one of which you use for the drafting mechanic, but the other just hangs out in the castle all day. Yeah. And we're not really sure what that king's doing. But, you know, I guess in worlds with two kings, one has to be doing something and the other watches the land? I'm not sure. I guess, I guess. I mean, there there's definitely something to just having fun components that don't cost them very much. To Absolutely. Make. Like, I think it's pretty smart that they have a, a cardboard um, thing that you can assemble. is sure. so easy to print. Oh, yeah. yeah like, I've... even cheaper than... A single tile, I think, almost. Um, yeah, I guess if, if you have some extra space in your punch board, why not? Yeah. And the fact that you assemble a thing, thats there's a psychological reason behind that, too. Like, Ikea furniture. <laughs> I built this thing, now I'm invested in it. This is my <laughs> thing now. Right. I've yep. created this. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Well, awesome. There we go, guys. Episode hey, one. Thank Episode you for listening. We, we did it. We yeah. made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for episode two. Carcassonne. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to The Tabletop Takeaway. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. So please tell your friends and visit our website at thetabletoptakeaway.com where you can suggest games and mechanics for us to cover next on the show. 